0: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Great Obsession Podcast. I'm Riley, and I'm kind of going all out today drinking a hot mocha with holiday spices from my local coffee shop.
1: Ooh, and do you know what holiday spices are, or...?
0: I asked them, and they listed a whole bunch. I think it's a lot of – they said it's a lot of the spices that go in chai. Mm, so it was like, like – cardamom and cinnamon, cinnamon, nutmeg, that sort of vibe. Yeah, 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 exactly. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, it, it was originally like a holiday spice hot chocolate on their menu, and I was like, can I get that with a double shot of espresso? <laughs> and they're like, you sure <laughs> can. We got you, queen. <laughs> uh. <laughs> So that's I'm really um, you know enjoying my festive vibes today with this. What are you drinking? About that for you. Um, I
1: am Sam, and I am drinking. Oh, so
0: true.
1: <laughs> a, uh, so it's a mocha that I made at home, but I used my Starbucks oh. hot chocolate mix. So it's like oh. a really tasty dark chocolate mocha. Like it definitely tastes richer and darker than if I had used like Hershey's syrup to make a mocha so I'm pretty pleased with it.
0: mm so did you like mix the powder into milk and then put the espresso in there so I did the
1: I mixed the powder I like made the espresso and I do it like straight into my mug and then I added the powder uh-huh. to that and like mixed it up and then foam. Because oh. I like the foam okay. on the milk. And so you can't, like, if you add foamed milk to a powder and then you mix it, you lose all the foam.
0: So sure. I, I added okay. it to the
1: espresso. And it was like, a, it was a little bit tricky. The Starbucks hot chocolate is really um, sort of like clumps more, it doesn't dissolve as well as regular powdered hot chocolate does. Um, So you really Mm -hmm. have to like, whisk it good. But then once I did, and I added the milk, it was good. It was a success.
0: I love that for you. That sounds delicious. Love that we're both having a mocha situation right now. We deserve it. (laughs) So true. Also, fits the, the holiday end of year vibes because today's episode is a spoiler free holiday book ranking extravaganza
1: (laughs) (laughs) except it actually has nothing to do with the holidays whatsoever no the holiday is end of 2023
0: yeah that's that's correct that's accurate it's the end of 2023 this is the year we started this podcast at the beginning of February so we've had a whole calendar year of reading and You know, putting out book reviews. So we wanted to go back through everything we read this year for the podcast and talk about how we feel about it now and and rank them into categories. So like we have some we have four tiers That we'll be putting our books in. And I think this will be fun because Sam and I have talked before about how a lot of times we'll, like, make an episode and it's, you know, a week after we read the book. And then a few months later we look back and we're like, now why did we say that? Or, like, why did we rank that book so high? Like, that wasn't good.
1: Well, I think especially because... I think over the course of doing this podcast, we started to think more critically about what we're reading and mm-hmm. we're doing more mental comparisons between books that we've read and just mm-hmm. having – more like thoughtful discussion about it has led us to be like, hmm, maybe we should rethink some of these things we said earlier on. And so, this is our opportunity to really give a little uh, reassess and also give uh, some recommendations for people who maybe haven't read all the books that we've read this year. And if you're just looking for new content in 2024, Maybe some of these books will give you an idea of what to read. Like Riley said, it's going to be totally spoiler-free, and so it's like a nice, safe episode for people to listen to.
0: Yeah, that way you can figure out, you know, if you haven't read any of the books that we've covered on this podcast, uh, you can decide whether or not they are worth reading. We'll try and give you as much helpful information as possible. So without further ado... We should get into it. it. Otherwise, this is going to be world's longest episode. We read a lot in (laughs) in 2023. So we have this organized by series. Um, That's kind of how we're going to go through it because it would just take too long going through every single individual book. So what did we decide? It was 10 series? Yeah. Yeah. Basically 10 series. Okay. Okay. And we have four categories. So uh based on how we feel about these series now with hindsight we will be tier ranking them the top category is talented brilliant incredible amazing show stopping spectacular never the same totally unique completely not ever been done before this will be reserved for a select few best. series yeah that just best of the best we still you know absolutely love these and want everyone to read them next category below that is a good ass time and nothing more. And you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But a lot of stuff that we read is a good-ass time in the moment. And then it doesn't really impact us in any way after that. So um, then the category below that one is, I suppose that was a book. <laughs> <You> Meaning that... <laughs> we I mean, read I'll let it. that speak for itself.
1: Yeah. Yes, that's
0: a good point. And then finally would actively discourage anyone from reading this is our (laughs) lowest category. This one will also be reserved for a select few that we just feel strongly about how much we dislike them. So I think let's go in order of what, you know, the order that we read and published episodes for each of these series. So the first thing that we read for this podcast was the Folk of the Air trilogy. Um, the average rating that I took between how we rated Cruel Prince, Wicked King, and Queen of Nothing was a 6.5 out of 10, which is, like, pretty mid-range. Mm-hmm. Do you still feel like you feel mid about this series? She's shaking no. her head
1: no. Yeah, Yeah. When I was originally looking at the rankings in preparation for this episode, this was one of the trilogies that I flagged to be, like, okay, I think we should revisit the ranking on this. I think part of why this series ended up being so good is so we ranked Cool Prince, the first one, a 5.5, but by the Mm -hmm. end of the series with Queen of Nothing, it was an 8. And Mm -hmm. I think we were so early in the recording process and just, like, thinking about these books in a different way The Cruel Prince wasn't immediately entertaining and satisfying, and so therefore we ranked it low. Mm
0: -hmm. But looking
1: back, it's a good thing that it's not immediately satisfying and entertaining, and the things that happen in the first book and the second book really pay off in the third one. And so as a series, it takes you on such a journey, and I think when I read this Like The Cruel Prince initially, I was really of the mindset of like, oh, a single book should leave me completely satisfied, questions answered, blah, 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 blah. And Mm -hmm. I was just not in a series mindset. And I think when you have a really good series, the first few books are going to be slower and there's going to be a lot of unanswered questions because that last Mm -hmm. book is where things really pack the punch. So yeah, I would... Uh, give this. By the time we finish this, this series rocked my world. Um, yeah, it's talented, brilliant, incredible, amazing, show-stopping, completely not ever been done before. Ranking for so me.
0: true, so true. I would also put it in that in that ranking, which is crazy given how low we rated it the first time. But I I also will say I think Holly Black's writing style mm-hmm. is not totally my jam. Um, yeah, because I've also read the Stolen Air, which is her like spinoff duology and um and i found the same like man i really don't love the writing style sometimes it's kind of hard to keep up with or it's frustrating being in one character's head when they're a little obnoxious however the story the world that she creates is so unique Mm -hmm. i've since then never read anything like it i think it's really definitive of like the everything we love about Faye and fantasy Mm -hmm. And the romance is just the perfect... Chef's kiss. Mm. Yeah, it's chef's kiss. It's perfect. Well, and... I
1: I think one thing that this series just really nails for me and the reason why I... Like, I actively want to reread this series. I feel like I finished it. And I immediately was like, holy shit, I need to reread it. I need to rethink about everything that I originally read. Because... The character development in this series, for being just a three-book series and they're not terribly long books, is unreal. And it doesn't ever feel rushed. It doesn't ever feel illogical. It's just very natural, organic character development and growth. And Jude's arc is just gorgeous. It's fantastic. 10 of 10.
0: Yeah, Sorry we I ranked think... you so low.
1: I know. You deserve to be
0: higher. I would formally apologize to The Cruel Prince for railing on it because I really think, you know, the the first book, The Cruel Prince, laid a lot of groundwork for it to pay off super well in the last book. I saw someone, uh, I think it was in a Goodreads review, someone said about The Cruel Prince specifically, they said, this is not a five-star book, but I love it, a five-star amount. And I think that's how I feel about yeah. the series. It's not, you know, the best written thing that you'll ever read it may be frustrating if you haven't read it and you're thinking about getting into it what i would say is if you love Faye, if you love you know a a well-done enemies to lovers slow burn deal i would highly recommend it you will just have to push through suspend your disbelief a few times um there may be some some parts in the first book where jude's voice is a little jarring and it's worth it i promise yeah yep it yeah incredible series still never read anything like it so um good job holly black all right next up the shadow and bone trilogy (laughs) this one i just have to laugh this is such a such an iconic series Mm -hmm. and we gave this between the three books shadow and bone siege and storm ruin and rising the average rating comes out to 3.8. Also worth it to note that Siege and Storm, we gave a 3 out of 10, which is our lowest rating that we gave any book this year. Do you think it deserved that? Or do you think there's some, it's something worse than Siege and Storm? Um,
1: I, so... i have have many conflicting (laughs) thoughts i did not like the shadow and bone trilogy time has not changed that for me i i don't have a ton of desire to reread it but i do think that we were too harsh the first go around i Mm -hmm. think that there were other books because here's the thing i think shadow and bone was doing something really original Mm -hmm. And I think there was just a lot of uh, creativity and world building and it was just so distinct. And at the time, I didn't appreciate how original and full this trilogy was, especially in the world building department. That, Mm -hmm. to me, I just hadn't read enough to realize how much originality Lee Bardugo had put into this book and so in that sense I want to rank it higher than a 3.8 average because it is really creative and just because I don't really like where the plot went and like I don't necessarily love all of the characters doesn't mean that it was poorly done like it just didn't Mm -hmm. do what I wanted it to do so I would I do think that there are – we'll get into it later, but I think there are other series that we read on a whole that are worse than the Shadow and Bone trilogy because they not only were a pain to read, but they also lacked creativity and originality that this series had. To me – the Shadow and Bone trilogy, however, uh, falls into the, I suppose, that was a book category.
0: Okay. I disagree. For me, I, I would put it in a good-ass time and nothing more. Because I, I personally had a good time reading this series. I think Siege and Storm was a, a kind of a downer. But mm-hmm. Shadow and Bone is, you know, it's well-paced. It's interesting. It's original. It's fun. The ending is a little bit crazy. Uh, Siege and Storm is a little slow, but then, in my opinion, Ruin and Rising turned it around. And like mm. it's like I saw, I saw the vision. I don't think yeah. the vision of this series was entirely accomplished because it's Lee Bardugo's first series. But I think something important about this series is that it defined the fantasy, the YA fantasy genre for its time. Obviously, this mm-hmm. series is you know a few years old now, and I really feel like. YA fantasy would not be what it is right now without Shadow and Bone. So I do not regret reading it, even though it was Agreed. not the most fun to read. And I had some frustrations with it. Uh, I don't regret reading it at all. And I think, like you said, it's very creative, great world. I, I still compare, you know, other, other fantasy worlds that I read to the verse because it's just so palatable the magic system mm-hmm. is really palatable logical i love it and i think there's something to be said also about how the show kind of improved upon the book for me or the the show yes. complements the books because it's like i really hated certain characters in shadow and bone but then it's like lee bardugo used her role in you know helping write or produce the show or whatever she did to i think correct some mistakes that she made with characters in Shadow and Bone. And it's, for that reason, I like, it like changes how I view the series. It makes me dislike it less.
1: Yes, I I can get behind that because I would agree. I think because we ended up reading more Leigh Bardugo work, it's really clear that this is her first series. And she only continued to improve upon her writing as time went on and so I do think that that says a lot that this series right off the bat was so creative and um, defining for the genre and I think the show really smooths out and sort of corrects the things that I disliked about this series and so that to me sort of indicates like you said that lee bardugo was aware of her own growth and willing to correct that in the show because the show is really good if you haven't seen it it's on netflix it's the bomb.com um and yeah i also would say i don't regret reading it i just don't want to reread it again
0: <laughs> no yeah and looking back it's like that was objectively not that good however if you listener haven't read it I would still recommend reading it because I just feel like it added something to my life because of how much I was able to enjoy the show after reading the trilogy and also because of the groundwork that it lays for Six of Crows
1: yes yes
0: if if
1: you are interested in reading the rest of the Grisha verse, you should read the Shadow and Bone trilogy, um, because they they really do. You need information from every series in order to understand the entire uh, universe of Grisha verse, and so I would also recommend people read it if they want to continue with Lee Bardugo's work, which we did. Um, and after the Shadow and Bone trilogy, we read the Six of Crows duology, uh, which we gave an average rating of nine. Ironically, yep. Crooked Kingdom was our highest-rated book of the year, which means Levar Dugo got both our lowest-rated book and our highest-rated oh, book.
0: that's um, so funny!
1: The range. I didn't catch that. <laughs>
0: Truly a queen of range.
1: A, t- a queen of range. Uh, yes, the Six of Crows duology is phenomenal. And we absolutely loved it. This was the best series that we read this year. It is talented, yes. brilliant, incredible, amazing, showstopping, spectacular, never the same, totally unique, completely not ever been done before. 100%.
0: Period. Yeah. It's that goes at the top of that category. That mm-hmm. this that series to this day, it was both and a a very fun, engaging read that I immensely enjoyed while reading it, and it had a huge emotional impact on me to the point mm-hmm. that I still think about it constantly. I still think about those characters all the time. Yeah, and for that reason, it's it's really stood the test of time in my mind, and I recommend it to everyone now. Please note, you can read this without reading Shadow and Bone if you really don't want to like force yourself to read a trilogy that's objectively not that good. But reading Shadow and Bone really enhances the experience of yeah. reading Six of Crows. And so I would I would say if you can, it's it's worth it.
1: I would agree because I told Jack, "Oh, you don't need to read Shadow and Bone. You can just read Six of Crows." So he did. He read the duology but not the trilogy and there were definite gaps particularly in the world building that he just didn't – he wasn't aware of and so there is a loss of depth if you don't read Shadow and Bone. And so with that being said, we recommend you read our highest ranking uh, book and our (laughs) lowest ranking book.
0: Yes, and then it's fine because you can listen to our episodes of Shadow and Bone where we rail on them. And so that way, if you also are similarly frustrated, you'll be heard because we understand. <laughs> but it's worth it. It's worth it. Six of Crows is so worth it. Yeah. Favorite series yep. I've read this year. Think about it constantly. Met Lee Bardugo and brought Crooked Kingdom to be signed because it was my favorite book. So, yep. Yep. That's that on that. Okay. Now, moving away from fantasy, we did a little bit of a genre pivot this year, uh, kind of halfway through the year, where we switched over to Taylor Jenkins Reid, and we read Daisy Jones and the Six, and The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Uh, so, Daisy Jones, we rated 6.5, and Seven Husbands, we rated 8.25, which is pretty high. Does that That's number three on our yeah. highly rated books. um. These together, I can't put them together because Daisy Jones is, is a level below Evelyn Hugo for me. I don't know if you feel the same with hindsight now.
1: Oh, oh, a thousand percent. I did not love. Here's. Okay. Evelyn Hugo has really stood the test of time for me when we did it on the pod. It was the second time I had read it and it only enhanced the book for me. I liked it even more reading it a second time. Daisy Jones, as time has gone on, I think I feel a little bit more favorably about when I originally read it. I was super critical. Uh, (laughs) It was not for me. And I still to this day don't think it's for me, but I I do like it, right? I think more fondly upon it um, as time has gone on. But Evelyn Hugo continues to be a standout. If you're looking for fiction and like old Hollywood glamour with some like drama in there, um, Evelyn Hugo is is such a great recommendation. It's not super long. It's very engaging, and. Yeah, I think it'll just really, if you haven't read fiction in a while and you're looking for a book to sort of get you back into reading fiction, I think Evelyn Hugo is a great a great one to get you back into reading.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I think Evelyn Hugo had a lot of emotional impact for me as yeah. well as being a super engaging read. Daisy Jones was a really fun read for me but afterwards thinking about it I was kind of like now that was just that was just a good ass time and and nothing more yes you know so that's where Daisy Jones goes for me um but Evelyn Hugo in my opinion talented brilliant show stopping never been done before I'm honestly baffled when I see people because like this is very widely read it's very hyped Uh, I -hmm. think deservedly so, but I will sometimes see my Goodreads friends read this and give it low ratings or say like, oh, that was fine. And I truly just don't understand. I I found this to be so rich. Um, Sure, it's it's fiction, so it Mm -hmm. might be a little bit um, unrealistic, but I don't care. It was a great story that really, you know, had a lot of impact on me and made me think.
1: Well, and I think... That this book, I enjoyed even more reading it and, like, talking about it with you. I think this is a great, like, book club or friend read book. Yes. Because there's a lot of space for really rich discussion. Because this book is so nuanced. And, like, Taylor Jenkins' read just weaves in these tiny little sort of... Uh, like easter eggs-esque things and like clues and the titles of the chapters have meaning and the mm-hmm. the arc of the husbands has meaning there's just all of these things that the more you dig into it the more you sort of was revealed but the only way to really get that is to discuss it with another person and so I think that this is definitely a great book for discussion and it really enhances the read.
0: Yeah, I would agree. And if you don't have a group to discuss it with, that's okay. Read it and listen to our episode. I'm pretty sure that's one of our longer episodes. Because I think
1: it's one of our best. We were was on fire. The,
0: yeah, we were. <laughs> it was quite the discussion. Uh, and and yeah, I recommend this, this book to pretty much everyone, especially like even friends who don't read very much, um, who are trying to get into reading. I think this is a really good one because it's, so engaging, and uh, and it deals with a lot of themes that I feel like are mm-hmm. pretty relatable as like a, a you know a mid twenties early thirties adult. So, yeah, highly recommend Daisy Jones. I would say if you haven't read Daisy Jones, um, if you enjoy music and you know commentary on the creation of music and the creation of art, I would recommend reading it. Is it Taylor Jenkins reads best? No. Uh is the show a good a good ass time once you've read the book? Yes. And so Yeah, do with that what you will. Yeah. Perfect. There you have it.
1: Um after that we read The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V. E. Schwab. Uh we rated this one a six point five. Does that That's very mid-tier for us. Does that
0: hold up? Yeah. To me, this book was mid. Honestly, I would, looking back, maybe rate it even lower. Just because I really expected this book to have a lot of impact on me based on how other people have talked about it. Mm -hmm. And it just, it didn't for me. It was a really creative concept. So I suppose for that, I give it props. And what I remember is that V.E. Schwab's writing was lovely. Like, the prose was really beautiful. So it did make me want to read more V. E. Schwab. Uh, but it... Um, I found it to just honestly be kind of boring. <laughs> yeah, I think that
1: for me, the one of the reasons why the rating came in a little bit low for this one was because, like you said, it was so hyped up my expectations were so high I thought this was gonna rock my world and when it didn't rock my world I was like ah that means it's a dud I think as time has gone by I don't think of as critically of it anymore Mm. I think I appreciate the writing style and like the artistry that was woven in a lot more I think That this is a book for me that would fall under the um, good-ass time and nothing more category. Because I do think that the writing was lyrical enough that I kind of want to reread it. Not for the plot, not for the characters, but just for the prose, I think. Was good enough for me that it bumps it up a little bit. Would I recommend it to someone else? It depends on the person. Um, yeah. It's not a universal recommendation by any means. But I think as time has gone by, I I appreciate the writing more. Having read some more questionable writing, I think whenever <laughs> I read like quality writing, I'm like, damn, you were really doing something here and not everyone can do that. So
0: yeah, yeah, I would say if anyone listening hasn't read Addie LaRue, if you enjoy contemplating time, and you, you know the the butterfly effect, like the the impact of one small action on the lives of others, I think there's a lot of you know that those are the themes that Addie Larue deals with, which makes it quite interesting. Um, but if you're a romance reader, don't read Addie Larue. The romance is is nothing. Um, if you really want to see a, a good character arc if you're a super character driven reader I think that's why it didn't really hit for me because I am a super mm-hmm. character driven reader and it just the characters did not hit for me and mm-hmm. um but you know the the themes and the the prose is I really have not read writing like V e. Schwab's since then so I kind of see where you're coming from with wanting to reread it maybe I would glean something more from it if I were to reread it but I just uh, – I don't know that it's worth rereading for me because it was kind of boring and hard to get through. It was too long. That's what I remember from it. So for me, this goes in – I suppose that was a book.
1: Okay. I just
0: really thought it would rock my world and, and then it was just a book.
1: I know. There's nothing more disappointing than a book that you have high expectations for and then it lets you down. That Yeah. It's a real mood killer. Yeah. Um. But after The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, we took a real pivot and read The Last Hours trilogy by Cassandra Clare. This is uh, part of her Shadowhunters universe.
0: Um, It's the most recent installment in the Shadowhunters universe.
1: Okay. Our average rating for this was a 5.5. This series... This series was a big old flop for me. I think the more time goes by, the lower I want to rank it. Like, we, Riley and I, have read um, everything in the Shadowhunters universe up until this point. Mm -hmm. We've stuck with this universe and this author for a really long time. And I think that this series just ended up being such a disappointment to me that having read so many other authors whose writing, like Lee Bardugo, improved with time and they really learned mm-hmm. from things, I mm-hmm. think it's hard to see an author actively sort of backslide so much that I don't, like, I don't cut cassie claire as much slack as i do other authors who are just like starting out like she's been in this game for 20 years why in the world would this trilogy be like shit
0: yeah (laughs) yeah well for me this trilogy begs the age-old question which is is a series worth reading if the ending flops you know what I mean? Like some book series are are really good, but then they just end poorly uh, and make it very unsatisfying. And so I, because I just feel like there were such good bones with this series. Like we yeah. said, we've read everything in the Shadowhunters universe, and so and I felt like this one was really promising, especially Chain of Iron. Uh, however, the last book just made me angry no book has made me as angry this year as as chain of thorns did like it was such a disappointment that it it almost felt um pointed like like cassandra clare was trying to make a point with what she did in chain of thorns and it was not a point that needed to be made in my opinion so what i would say here is um i suppose that was a book i suppose that was a series If you have never read any Cassandra Clare and you're interested in the Shadowhunters universe, here's what you need to do. Read the Infernal Devices trilogy. That's Clockwork Angel, Clockwork Prince, Clockwork Princess. And leave it. Don't read anything else. You'll be tempted (laughs) to because you'll be like, that was so good. Let's see what else Cassandra Clare has written in this universe. And you will be disappointed. Yeah. And that's what I have to say.
1: I would agree a thousand percent. I would honestly, for me, this series falls under would actively discourage anyone from reading. If you are a Ooh. fan of the Shadowhunters universe and you've read all of their, all of um, the books within that universe, I don't think you need to read this one. It doesn't add anything. It doesn't present anything new. If anything, it muddies the existing universe. There are inconsistencies. Such a good point. It's going to drive you crazy, and these are big ass books. Don't waste your time. Oh my god! Yeah. it's eight hundred pages of nothing. Swipe left or whatever is that? I don't have Hinge or I don't swipe left. <laughs>
0: reject it. Yeah, I think reject swipe left it is a rejection. It. On yeah, on whatever don't. that is. Yeah, you know, you make a good point. I'm sort of torn because this that series, like Chain of Thorns, was such a flop, but. All of that series brought us the ship that we affectionately named Toaster. That's, and that is true. because of Toaster, <laughs> I have a hard time <laughs> telling people not to read this. But the, the
1: thing is, is the Toaster payoff is just not there. So in some ways, it's almost more frustrating because you see so much potential and then you don't get what you want.
0: Yeah. Well, that's that's that on that. Yeah. Cassie Clare's magnum opus was the Infernal Devices trilogy, which was written, like, more than 10 years ago. So incredibly frustrating that The Last Hours was such a flop. But such it was. Moving on. The Crowns of Nyaxia duology. Uh, this, that's technically not a duology because Carissa Broadbent is writing more installments. But right now, it's it's a duology. And the story of the, the two main characters is complete. So that th- if you're not familiar with this series, the first book is The Serpent and the Wings of Night. Second is The Ashes of the Star-Cursed King. Um, <laughs> this is a funny one to revisit because we rated The Serpent and the Wings of Night 8.25, making it one of the highest ratings of this year. And what were we thinking? I don't know. I truly do don't know.
1: Uh, here's the thing these are we did enjoy both of these books they're not bad books they're not like atrocious or anything like that I just think that maybe we we just I don't know I actually don't know what we were thinking I, I think it had been a hot minute since we had read a ton of fantasy we'd done a lot of um Like movie and TV show episodes and then we sort of Mm -hmm. got back into the reading and I think maybe we were just so excited to be back reading fantasy but also reading a really unique world because Carissa Broadbent really does create a unique universe and original characters and we had some interesting familial dynamics in there and it at the time, felt very new and there was really good action. And so I think we were just excited about that to, like, have something new. Um mm-hmm. Retrospectively, this book for me is probably closer to maybe, like, a 7 or a 6.5. I think it's very mid-tier for the year. It does not need to be top-tier. Um, no. I think this series was um a good ass time and nothing more
0: yeah no that's what I would say too because I feel like Carissa Broadbent is you know an indie writer whose books blew Mm -hmm. up and what I saw someone say when they reviewed this book is that it read like fan fiction where it was like not super well edited but but you can't stop reading it because the story is really well done um and that's what i think this was. i think part of why we rated the first book so high is because it was such a fun engaging read. It's it's mm-hmm. a tournament like kind of hunger games style tournament is is what the plot is and with I vampires? Think, with vampires. Yeah, and there's romance, there's spice, which a lot of people really loved. And so i and i will say this series out of all the ones we read this year has one of the most tangible strong female main characters. Like, I just remember yeah. Aurea being a really, really tangible character who I, I felt like I knew her and I understood her. Um, She really jumped off the page for me. The problem with the the series for me, though, was that none of the other characters really did that. Agreed. Uh Including the love interest. So, like, yeah. I, I would put this in a good-ass time and nothing more because ultimately the emotional impact was not much. And there were a lot of weird, like, editing things where that made it hard to read like it it, it, scenes were hard to follow someone was on one side of the room and then they were on the other side and you don't know how they got there just stuff like that that was made it a weird reading experience
1: and I will say uh since though since we've read this these two books um this series and Carissa Broadbent have been picked up by, I believe, Tor Publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a a real formal publishing house backing them, and I know that these books were being re released with mm-hmm. after being edited. And um, so there were Carissa Broadbent said that there were some editing changes, but nothing, no changes to the story. Mm-hmm. And so I am curious if some of those things those editing issues that did make it hard to read were sort of sorted out in this reprint version. And it makes me really curious for the next books in this series. um, Mm -hmm. Because like you said, the bones of this are really good. And Carissa Broadbent clearly has a vision for the world and the story and is very creative. And so Mm -hmm. I... I would say I, I'm just – I i don't want to recommend this series yet necessarily until the new books are out. But I'm very optimistic that this series could be something really good.
0: I would say if you're a fantasy reader who is easily pleased, I think you'll like this. A lot of people really liked this. Uh, yeah, I feel think- like
1: Fourth Wing, this is a good fit for you
0: yes yes i i would agree i think i would say this is better than fourth wing for sure um there's some editing things obviously that make it different but like character development wise i feel like this did quite a bit more than fourth wing i really felt like Carissa broadbent put her heart into it i really felt i really like her after reading this i really like her i follow her on social media and i still really like her and i will read what she puts out next Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I wouldn't discourage anyone from reading this. Just know it's very hyped up and it's not, it's not the greatest thing you'll ever read. It's just fun. It's good, clean fun. It is good, clean fun. And I'm glad we read it, but it's not an 8.25. Okay. (laughs) Next is (laughs) a great transition there because here next we read fourth wing. So the Empyrean series, which currently includes fourth wing and iron flame, um, between the two we we gave that series an average of Mm 5.5 and i think that stands we rated fourth wing quite a bit higher at 6.5 iron flame got a 4.5 and i i would still agree fourth wing was yeah was a good ass time iron flame maybe was not a good ass time maybe that was just a book i might have to divide those two (laughs) between the tiers
1: yeah i actually think that's fair um I think the 5.5 average feels really correct because I think as a whole, this series so far is falling a little below mid-tier. Iron Flame did nothing to improve upon fourth wing or correct any of the questions we had um, in fourth wing, the things we didn't like. It only (laughs) brought things down. So I think dividing them up is fair. Fourth Wing is a good-ass time and nothing more, Um, Mm -hmm. but Iron Flame, I think, is definitely a – I suppose that was a book.
0: Yeah, I think Fourth Wing, you know, one of the most hyped books of this year. To me, it's – yeah, it's nothing but a a good-ass time. There's not a lot of – as a character-driven reader, it really does not do much.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You're going to finish this book and you're going to have zero thoughts about it. It does not, it doesn't stay with you in any kind of emotional way. And that's fine. Just know it's, it's, it's entertainment value only.
0: Yeah. If you're like us and you're a character-driven reader who appreciates, you know, a good character arc or or a well-plotted story or a unique world. You're not getting any of those. You're getting dragons and high stakes, and fun and and spice. Tropes, yeah, and tropes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. All right. Crescent City <laughs> is our next one.
1: <laughs> so, Crescent City, uh, Sarah J. Maas's latest series. Um, we read the first two in this series, House of Earth and Blood and House of Sky and Breath, with, gave it an average of 5.5. 5. This series is not finished yet, so maybe when it's done, we'll feel differently. But yeah. off of these first two books, uh, this is a, would actively discourage anyone from reading.
0: I would fully agree which is crazy because this is a super hyped series yeah and and so like it's again like kind of with fourth wing where it's like if you're easily pleased fantasy reader who just you know you like a cool world and you like spice you're, you'll are you get that with crescent city so you know some people really love it but I found Crescent City to be extremely unsatisfying. The first book was about 70% world building that was really difficult to get through, uh had a really great ending, and then the second book was entirely filler with yeah, a fan servicey ending. And fan service just <laughs> does not go very far for me. So, so for some people, no. you know, they really love it because of the ending. I did not. However, we will unfortunately be seated for (laughs) book three (laughs) next
1: month. Uh, Yeah, I think that this book is sort of a classic, oh, we love SJM, and so everything that she puts out, we're going to give five stars, whether it deserves it or not. I think the Crescent City and the Last Hours trilogy, to me, are very similar in the sense that they are too long they're fan servicey they are really prioritizing um like fan servicey things over genuinely good plot and character development yes i just think that first of all the crescent city books are massive and they are massive for no reason and if you have read nothing by sarah j maas don't touch this book don't touch crescent city don't read it just read throne of glass get through that series and if you want to do akatar okay but like you don't need to touch crescent city this is this is me telling you it's not necessary um but if you have read everything by sarah j maas I think I like see the allure of reading this series because you're like, "Oh, I want to read more." And you do get some real fan servicey moments, especially in the second book. But honestly, at this point, I still don't think it's worth it. I think no. maybe if the next book is just absolute dynamo, which I will say Throne of Glass showed us sarah j mass wrote that series and the first few books are kind of duds but then Mm -hmm. the the whole the series as a whole is really great and maybe that's Mm -hmm. what's gonna happen with crescent city i don't know but as of this point with only two books in it if if you are a huge sarah j mass fan i still i
0: still don't think you need to read it skip it yeah that was 800 pages of time that i will never get back yeah. the second book was I think that should be rated lower than Siege and Storm <laughs> no I do
1: too because I think Siege and Storm I didn't like because I just didn't like the plot choices and character choices but there was nothing fundamentally wrong with it it was just oh not my preference Crescent yeah. City 2 is just genuine, genuinely some lazy writing and like plot is shit and it should have been edited more extensively there's there is no reason for it to be that long no reason no you wasted my time
0: no yeah we made a two-hour episode about it where we went through all of the plot lines that were started and never went anywhere so that tells you what kind of book crescent city 2 is again some people love it I I fail to understand why. I have to think that it's just, you know, easily pleased by fan service, which I really love that for you if that works Mm -hmm. for you. But it just, characters are flat. World is confusing. Plot lines go nowhere. (laughs) We're gonna, we have faith in SJM because of how good Throne of Glass is. But I worry that she is becoming so successful that, that no one edits her. And yeah. that her writing is, is worse now because of it. We'll see. Again. We'll test that theory by reading the third one. But I just Oh yeah. I'm I'm fired up about Crescent City. Because it was I'm fired I just really too. went in thinking it was gonna be so good and then I I fucking hated it.
1: <laughs> I know. It's and I think once again, with the Last Hours trilogy, I think part of why I get so heated about Crescent City in the last hours is is because as a longtime fan I feel a little scammed like I feel a little bit like they just published a book without putting any effort or thought or editing into it because they knew I was gonna buy it and that sort of pisses me off I don't know that that's true that's maybe like a little too intense (laughs) but um that that is just how I feel about this series
0: yeah, no, like that's how we feel as readers, because I think when we look at something like, um, um, like Once Upon a Broken Heart, which we'll talk about momentarily, you know that one had a disappointing third book, but we we still enjoyed the series as a whole and had a lot to say. Whereas, because like we we like Stephanie Garber and we see her writing improving, but with, uh, Cassandra, Cassandra Clare and Sarah J. Moss, it's like we see. We know what they're capable of and just and yes. we feel like we see them being lazy, mm-hmm. maybe presumptuous. We don't actually know what went into their writing process, but that's how it feels to read the books. Mm-hmm. And and that's incredibly frustrating for us as yes. readers. Yeah. So Summed that up perfectly. Yeah. And I kind of gave away um, what's happening with, well, you know, how we <laughs> feel about Once Upon a Broken Heart. But that this was the final trilogy of books that we read this year. And um the average rating that we have for those is 7.25. So it falls, you know, kind of upper mid-range and I think that's mm-hmm. solid. I think that's solid
1: as well. Um I am a full-blown Stephanie Garber stan. I love her. Um and I really do like this series. The first two books are dynamite so good the last book does take a decline it's not awful um it is just a disappointment um Mm -hmm. and that as a whole brings the series down because not having an unsatisfactory ending is just so hard and it makes you look at the whole series a little bit differently i think For me, I would recommend this series to some people. This is not a universal recommendation. Um, No. It's not for everyone. It's definitely, I think, a good-ass time, but nothing more. It had the potential to be a little bit more, but that last Mm -hmm. book just didn't nail it. And so it really is much more of an entertainment read. It's very palatable it's very easy-going, like, fun romance fantasy. It's not spicy. It's very appropriate for a variety of age levels. And mm-hmm. so I think, depending on what your comfortability is, this is, like, a solidly PG series, which I think is also mm-hmm. kind of nice. Um, and if you're into that, I think it's a good wreck. Just know that the ending is maybe a bit lackluster.
0: Yeah, I would mostly agree. I think this series for me, I don't stand in the way you do. I don't know if it's just because the characters, it doesn't do much for me Mm character-wise, and I felt like there were really good bones there. I think I rated the first book pretty high. Like, I want to say I gave it four stars on Goodreads because I really thought we were getting somewhere, and then uh and then it turned out to just be a good ass time and nothing more. It was reading this mm-hmm. series was like for me, it was like eating dessert where yes. you have a good time, but then afterwards you're like, now my stomach kinda hurt kinda hurts and my teeth feel like they're worse for having eaten that. So like why did I do that? But I don't necessarily regret it because it was good.
1: <laughs> yes this is this is like if if cotton candy was a book this is it that's like, so true i don't know why that is this is just such a cotton candy world cotton candy plot it is cotton candy romance it's a nice enemies to lovers i agree a slow burn. I, yes love a slow burn enemies to lovers oh my god um i agree that when you're enjoying it like when you're going through it you're like oh this is fun at points a little bit too sweet but like I'm enjoying myself and then when you finish you're like "Mm, should I have done that Um, yeah (laughs) and yeah it's it's low stakes it's not gonna cause you any stress it's not gonna weigh you down But it's not going to challenge you or leave you with any strong impressions after you finish. It's just very
0: palatable. Yeah. I would say this is a good palate cleanser Mm -hmm. read. Uh, You know, if you've just read something that pissed you the fuck off, like Crescent City. Uh, then I think you will will
1: soothe you (laughs) you'll be very soothed
0: (laughs) and enjoy it but um, it's again like Sam said not a universal recommendation I really think that this is a great recommendation for the age demographic teenagers agreed if I was 16 I think I would love this a lot more than I do now yes there's something for me about YA that transcends the age demographic, such as Six of Crows, I feel like super applicable uh, and relevant read for even as an adult, whereas this doesn't necessarily feel relevant as I'm reading mm-hmm. it as a 26-year-old. But I don't regret reading it. It was fun.
1: Yeah. No, it's it's definitely of the books we read, some of them are more heavily like geared towards like the audience is clearly a young adult and not new adult or adult adult. And this, this is definitely, like I said, a middle schooler could read this and I think really enjoy it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Would highly recommend this to middle schoolers, honestly. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) A great
0: time. Well, that sums up everything that we've read for the podcast in 2023. So there you have it. I think it's, it's fun to revisit, uh, the impact that each of these reads has had on us this year. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really feel like we took this year to sort of catch up, like we hadn't read Shadow and Bone, for example, and I just feel like that's sort of required reading if you're going to be joining the YA fantasy conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, so I feel like I'm really happy with everything that we read this year and I'm looking forward to everything we're going to read in 2024.
1: I know I think we've got a lot of exciting stuff coming up, and yeah, I think we've got a good base for our our reading knowledge,
0: yeah, and hopefully this gave uh you guys the listeners some, an idea of you know what is worth your time to read uh based on your tastes, so um, come back for our. We'll do another episode that's like our 2023 year in review. Um, We just knew that the book conversation would dominate that episode if we didn't separate it. So we'll have another episode where we talk more about books we read not for the podcast um, that were really impactful for us this year, as well as, you know, music and pop culture and other things that, you know, were real 2023 highlights. So come (laughs) back for that at the end of the year uh, and then stay tuned for divine rivals that will be our next read for the podcast so get ready yes can't wait so excited can't wait and with that thank you so much for listening for joining us we're so happy you're here If you're feeling generous, we would love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and or review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It only takes a few seconds, and it really helps our podcast. Um, Subscribe or follow us wherever you listen to podcasts to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. And if you want to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. Just check our show notes for our Instagram, email, and Goodreads, and we'll chat there.